welcome to I Scream, the podcast. I am your host, Kira Hamilton, and welcome to the very first single scoop episode. In the last episode that I did, I talked about doing smaller episodes throughout the week, specifically every Wednesday, and I decided that I was going to do that. So here I am doing it right now. I'm super excited for the case that I picked out for today, but before we start, let me just say a couple of things. First, I did take a break the past two weekends. The first weekend was Labor Day weekend, so I was like, I'll take a break, which was already pre-planned. And then the next weekend, I had soccer games on both days of the weekend, so I was just like, okay, I'll just post my single scoop on Wednesday, and I will skip out on this episode. But from now on, my episode should be pretty darn consistent, plus the single scoops. Anyways... The case that I have picked out for you today is the case of Nellie Mae Madison, who is the first woman on death row in California, which I think is super interesting. Now, obviously, this is back in a time when if you murdered somebody, you immediately got death sentence as long as you're proven guilty. Obviously, in current times, it would probably just depend on the case and how gruesome it was. Um, I don't know what to say about this one, what would happen, because I'm obviously not very knowledgeable in like law policies and things like that and how you determine but I think it's up to the jury and I think you also like start off with a sentencing I could be wrong don't take my word for it anyways let's go ahead and get into the case of Nellie Mae Madison Nellie Mae Madison, the first woman on death row in California, was born Nellie Mae Mooney in Red Rock, Montana, the daughter of Edward Mooney and Catherine Doherty Mooney, ranchers who had immigrated to the United States from Ireland in the 1880s. The Mooneys eventually took advantage of the federal government's homestead program in the 1890s and operated a sheep ranch and a dozen miles of land south of Dillon, Montana. Nellie was the youngest of three children. Nellie experienced an untraditional upbringing. Compared with most women of her time, though staunchly Catholic, her religious instruction relied on sporadic sporadic visits from a priest who rode horseback to minister to parishioners in his far-flung territory. Her life on the ranch inculcated in her strong sense of autonomy. She learned to ride and to shoot, gaining such proficiency at the latter that she became locally renowned as a quote-unquote crack shot even before her teens. So this, if you didn't catch the date, is around the time that women were still mostly considered to be housekeepers you know they cooked and they cleaned so this sort of upbringing like her just riding horses and learning how to shoot guns you know those are traditionally in this time boy things I put in air quotes um so I think that's super cool her upbringing obviously not a perfect upbringing as we will come to find Even as a teenager, Nellie was impulsive. She was especially drawn to flashy brass men. She first married at 13. That's right, 13. I'm 13 right now. She got married at 13. She's in middle school. That's insane. In October 1908, when she eloped to Ogden, 
Utah with Ralph Brothers, a 24-year-old cowboy. Her parents had the marriage annulled. In 1912, Nellie moved to Boise, Idaho, where she enrolled in Lynx Business College. And Boise, she married the firefighter Clarence Kennedy in 1917. Although it is unclear whether they divorced, in 1919, Nellie married the mechanic Wilburn Earl Trash. Trask. Not trash. <laughs> Trask. I couldn't say words. They moved to Los Angeles the next year and divorced soon after. In 1925, she married William Brown, a locally prominent lawyer. In 1930, they divorced. So I think that is one, two, three, four, five husbands already. That's a lot of husbands. Most people go through like one, two, like maybe three. Five is a lot, especially considering like her first marriage was... When she was 13 in 1908, meaning she married second when she was 17, which is very young to marry. And then she married third when she was 18, 17 plus five is 22. So that's normal marriage age. So after that, it was pretty normal marriage. But she married really young to her first husband, which I guess wasn't really legal, and then still really young to her second husband. Anyways, so here we are in 1930. She just divorced her last, her fifth husband at the moment. The same year, she moved to the desert community of Palm Springs and became manager of the Desert Inn, a hotel catering to visiting celebrities. In the spring of 1933, Nellie met Eric Madison, a charmer with a dark side. Following a whirlwind courtship, the couple married in July 1933 in Salt Lake City, then left for Dillon, Montana, where Nellie collected a $1,000 inheritance. Seven months later, the Madisons returned to Southern California. Both went to work in the commissionary of Warner Brothers Studios in Burbank and moved into an apartment across the street from the studio's back lot. Nellie's unconventional life ten tendencies to take risks and impulsive behavior converged explosively in the bedroom of her Burbank apartment moments before midnight on March 24th, 1934. The Madison's neighbors awoke to the sounds of gunfire. Eric Madison's bullet-riddled body was discovered on the apartment floor, but Nellie Madison had disappeared. The Burbank police, acting on a tip, arrested her the afternoon of March 26, hiding in the closet of a mountain cabin 80 miles north of Los Angeles. Dozens of reporters attended her interrogation at the Burbank police station. Nellie denied killing her husband, but was forced to reveal her checkered martial history. Charged with first-degree murder, murder, and jailed while awaiting trial, Nellie Madison became the focus of massive coverage for all five daily newspapers in Los Angeles. Tall and striking, with dark hair and large brown eyes, she was likened by journalists to the deadly femme fatals featured in pulp magazines and nor novels of the period. Artist obligingly obligingly, I'm not sure how to pronounce that word, touched up photos to make her look sinister. Her lips curl in a slow, enigmatic smile, 
wrote a Los Angeles Herald Examiner reporter who sat in on Madison's questioning. Quote, she's a mistress of herself and the questioners beaten back time after time, turn away in disappointment, end quote. So at this point, Nellie is the center of attention. This sort of thing had never happened in California. She's the first to get the death sentence, as I said, several times. So this is like the first big thing. One of the things I did find interesting that I just talked about was how they changed her appearance to look creepier. I'm pretty sure we don't do that in newspapers today. Obviously, I'm not 100% sure. I don't really read like newspapers and magazines and watch the news or anything like that. But I don't think we change like criminals appearances to make them look scarier. And if we did, I think that's sort of offensive. Because as much as killers are killers, they're still human beings. They've just got mental health issues or just things going on in their life. But I don't know. I think it's so weird to like make a killer look scarier. It's kind of offensive. Like I wouldn't like it if somebody like if I was in the newspaper for, for, for something else, just like I was in the newspaper for, I don't know, selling candy and the newspaper made me look too, you know, I'd be offended then. I mean, just imagine if you were somebody who had a mental illness and killed somebody and they made you look like a monster. I would not like that, but I also probably wouldn't kill anybody. Probably. I definitely want to kill anybody. Anyways, on the 6th of June, 1934, the Los Angeles County District Attorney up to the stakes in Nellie's case, announcing his intention to seek the death penalty. No woman had ever been executed by the state of California. The trial began the following day. Quote, unique in the annals of local history, end quote, according to the Los Angeles Times, it featured overflow crowds, a, quote, hanging judge known to favor prosecutors, end quote. So already this case is biased. Courtroom exhibitors that included the deathbed, complete with bloody streets, sheets and perjured testimonies from the defendant, who insisted the dead man on her apartment floor was not Eric Madison. On the 23rd of June, 1934, an eight-man, four-woman jury found Nellie Madison guilty of murder and sentenced her to hang. On July 12th, she was driven to the California Institution for Women in Tehachapi and placed into a specially constructed death row to await, await execution, but she did not hang. Following an unsuccessful appeal to the California Supreme Court, Madison fired her trial attorney and hired a new lawyer. On June 21, 1935, she confessed to the murder, citing extreme abuse, both physical and mental. Authorities remained skeptical and mostly unmoved until Eric Madison's former wife, wife, Brife, I mean, that was the word that I invented a couple episodes ago, if you don't remember. I don't remember the exact episode, but basically what happened is I did could not decide between bride and wife, so Brife. Anyways, Eric Madison's former Brife, Georgia Madison, emerged with a similar story of abuse. Journalists who had previously portrayed Nellie Madison as a femme fatal now depicted her as a pathetic victim. Pathetic is a rude word to use, but that is how they portrayed her. One newspaper cartoon showed her in her prison shell reaching towards barred windows and the sun. 
Letters from the public poured into the office of California Governor Frank Marion seeking her reprieve. On September 16, 1935, 16 days before the scheduled hanging, Miriam commuted her sentence to life in prison. Madison spent seven and a half more years in prison, lobbying continuously for a pardon, sentence commutation, or parole. On March 27, 1943, almost nine years to the day of Eric Madison's murder, she walked out of the California Institution for Women. Her years in prison had cost her youth, health, and almost everyone I hold dear, as she wrote in one letter to the governor. In the fall of 1943, she settled in San Bernardo and married one last time to John Wagner, a house painter. She remained in this marriage until her death in July 1953 from a stroke. Madison's life trial and death sentence provide a crucial window into gender ideologies and judicial practices of the 1930s and 1940s and a glimpse of the future. Her case presaged a media-driven culture based on sex and sensation and represented a very early, unusual for the time, example of defendant's ability successfully to cite spousal battery as defense for murder. So, to give you the sum up, Nellie May Madison is the first woman to have been sentenced to death in California. However, she did not actually get hung as she was sentenced to. However, this drew a lot of light on gender stereotypes and sort of things like that that happened in the area, as well as things like battery and assaults being motivations for murder and mental illness. So it really revolutionized the way we thought about murder and the way we thought about different gender stereotypes. Because in California at this time, it was crazy for anybody to think that a woman could murder somebody. But as we know, women can definitely murder just as much as men can. Anyways, that's all for this single scoop. It was probably one of the longer ones I'm going to do, but I just thought this case was super interesting. And I decided to do it for a single scoop because I thought it needed more of a gestural way, like a more squished kind of way. I just didn't want to do it for a larger episode, and I wanted to be able to sort of talk about how this affected the American law system after this happened, mainly in California. Anyways, that's all for this single scoop. I will see you on Saturday for our big episode. Goodbye!